Well, church, I've introduced him. He's like family around here. Logan, our youngest son, said, you're like Uncle John. You're like Uncle John. We like it when you come in. And uh, will you welcome with me, as he brings the word, John Bevere. We love you, John. Thank you so much. We love you. Love you, too. Hey, good morning, River Valley. Man, it's great to be here. Can I uh, just stay standing because I always love praying before I bring in the word. Can I say I love being here because um, Lisa and I, I'm, I'm telling you, this is the honest truth. When people say, who are the greatest leaders you know in America? They'll ask me that a lot because we've been traveling for 35 years. And uh, top five, always, Rob and Becca Ketterling are in that number. It just, you have, I feel like my job as an uncle is to always remind you how great of lead pastors that you have and how great a team that they have built up. Never take it for granted. I love being around this couple. I'm always edified. I'm challenged because of his leadership and her leadership. And so, ladies, really, what a, what a marvelous opportunity to be able to reach people who don't know Jesus that you know. Get them to sparkle. Do not hesitate. Take advantage of it, all right? Now, let me say this. I am like Uncle John around here. I've been coming here a lot longer than some of you have been coming here even. So, and um, it's just, I, I love this church. I want to see this church strong. And so I realize we've got really tight schedule between these two services. Usually I introduce my family. I will show a quick picture. Put them up there really quick. Um, but anyway, yes, my youngest son who is with me is, you will probably more of a Vikings fan than 95% of you in here. It's crazy. How this happened, I failed in this area of raising him. I was raised in Michigan. I'm a Lions fan. I told my wife one day, I said, you will know I will stay faithful to you because 50 years in Detroit's not even seen the Super Bowl. I said, I am faithful to a fault, okay? <laughs> so anyway, but no, we, we get to come to the game December 8th, the Lions and the Vikings. My boys are so excited. And so we'll be back in the area again. Please pray there's no snow that weekend and that you have an Indian summer on December 7th and 8th. Anyway, listen, guys, I love you. I really want to see Holy Spirit speak to us today. So if you believe God can change your life forever, put your hand up. All right, put your other hand up because the Bible says we don't have because we don't ask. And so Heavenly Father, we do come before you and I thank you so much for this church. I know this is a church that you love deeply and dearly. I'm asking today, Holy Spirit, do what you love to do the most. That is magnify and glorify Jesus in a way like we have never known him before. As you do this, may we go from glory to glory and from faith to faith. And for I decree that your kingdom has come within us. Therefore, your will shall shall be done in this place on earth as it is in heaven. For this we give you all the praise, the glory, and it's in Jesus' name we pray and everybody that agrees shouts. All right, give him praise for what he's gonna do. You can be seated and watch this. You wanna know how gold is purified? It's ground down, beat down, then it's thrown into a furnace, melted down by a 2,000 degree fire. The heat increases, impurities begin to surface. Things you never saw before, they appear. You scrape away these impurities, and what are you left with? Refined, pure gold. The trials you face as a human being are the furnace. Designed to remove the impurities in us so the only thing that remains is what was placed at the core of us. God's nature and character. 
Some of you are in the furnace right now. All you see is the fire. All you feel is the heat. Each day feels like a struggle and you want to give up. You want to hit the snooze button. You want to give up on that marriage. You want to quit that job. Take the easy way out. But you weren't created for easy. You were created for victory. When the fires of life are raging, keep going. And always remember, on the other side of pain, on the other side of trial, is your promise. All right. So, you know, I want to open up today, kind of share with you my, my upbringing. I was actually raised in church, and my parents brought me to church every single weekend, but I had absolutely no relationship with God. And it was quite obvious because people were witnessing to me like crazy my, my high school years and college years, and I wasn't even connecting. But it wasn't until my sophomore year in college... Um, Athletics is a big part of my background. I played Junior Davis Cup tennis, USTA circuit. I played, started for the Purdue varsity tennis team. And one of the greatest athletes in the state of Indiana was in my fraternity. And he came up one night and started sharing Campus Crusade for Spiritual Laws. And I remember as he shared, everything changed. Um, I actually realized at that moment that God wanted a relationship with me. That God actually cared for me deeply and he loved me uniquely that he wanted to be a father to me and make promises to me and keep them like a father would to his own child. And I remember when I saw that, I received Jesus Christ and everything changed. I mean, what really, really marked that moment was the presence of God that came into my life. I mean, his presence filled, filled voids that tennis, dating the prettiest girl, success could not fill. Even going to church never filled. And I, I, I remember, man, I, I was just like overwhelmed by his presence one time. I remember this distinctly. A storm was forming and it was an ominous storm. And I remember weeping. And I, I'm not a crying guy. You, you're taught as an athlete, you don't cry. And I'm just sitting there weeping going, my dad created all this. And the way he answered prayers, oh my gosh, it was amazing. I remember one time my cassette player. You know what that is? A cassette player. Google it later. It's prehistoric. But anyway... Um, it was, it was broke, and I'm a, I'm, a broke guy, or I'm a broke college student, so I got no money. And I'm like, that's where all my worship comes from. That's where all my teaching comes from. And I'm like, what do I do? I just said, God, you said lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. I laid hands on that thing, and you know God's my witness. I put that cassette player in there, and it's cassette in that player, and it started working, and it never broke again. It was amazing, okay? So I'm like, this is Christianity, right? Well, after a few years, what happened is the presence of God started seeming more elusive in my life, and he wasn't answering prayers quite like he was doing, and it seemed like the promises that he made to me were getting further away from me instead of closer to me and it actually seemed like nothing was going right in my life and I had this question going on over and over again in my head and you know what the question was God where are you can anybody relate or am I preaching over your heads or uh, anybody do I pray for the rest of you for lying now or later <laughs> okay if you've been saved over three weeks you know what I'm talking about and and and, and you see there was a three-step pathway that I didn't get. And I want to share with you this three-step pathway that God brings every one of his kids through. It's a pathway to get us to a place. It's called our destiny. How many of you know that you have a destiny in God? Come on, every day of your life was recorded in a book before a single day began, Psalm 139 says. Okay, the steps of a good man, good woman are ordered of the Lord. 
Well, what God does, the first step to get us there is he gives us glimpses of where he's going to take us. And that's called the promise. Everybody say the promise. If Joseph, it's a couple dreams, David, the prophet speaks to him. You know, Jeremiah, you're going to be a prophet to the nations. I knew you before you were born, he said, God said to him. Well, I actually have a prophetic word given to me in July of 1981 in my file, in, in my desk, that literally the things that were written in that prophetic word didn't start coming to pass until I was in my 50s, 30 years later. Now, somebody may say, yeah, but God didn't give me a glimpse. Well, let me just challenge you this morning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start out kind of hard-hitting, okay? My Bible says that God rewards those who diligently seek him in faith. My Bible does not say God rewards those who seek him casually and wonder in doubt. So you might want to check up on your seeking level. Okay, let's move on from there. After the promise or the glimpse is given, then comes the process. What's the process? I've affectionately term this as the wilderness or refining. Why is the process so important? Because it gives you the character to handle the fulfilled promise. And once you successfully navigate the process, then comes the promotion. And that is God's fulfilled promise in your life, all right? Peter writes about this process because I wanna focus in on the process this morning. The glimpse, it's pretty easy. The promotion, it's pretty easy. It's the process where we have to cooperate with. So Peter makes this statement, he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse six, and this, he's talking about heaven, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. Everybody say, a little while. Now let's talk about this for a second here, okay? If I, say to you, if I say to you, I'm gonna be your house in a little while, what am I saying? I'm gonna be there in 10 or 15 minutes, right? But you see, Peter makes this statement later in his books. He says, a day with the Lord is a thousand of our years. Okay? Do you, do you hear what I just said? One day to God is a thousand of our years. So my little engineering mind one day, I'm just sitting there going, okay, what's an hour to God? So I divided a thousand by 24 and I got 42.6 years. So a little while to God is seven or eight years. Aren't you really glad you woke up early to come hear that? Okay, though now for a little while, now look at this, if need be, let me share with you the need is there. Uh, you have been grieved. The word grieve means greatly distressed by various trials. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. Stop right there. That, I don't know if you know what he's really saying there. If you're going through trials, you can rejoice that your faith is not counterfeit. Okay? It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than gold. So let's go back to this time period when the presence of God started seeming elusive in my life. Uh, at this time, Lisa and I had already left, uh, I had left my engineering career, and I was working for a church that had 450 paid staff members. We were one of the best known churches in the United States. And um, I remember one night, you know, our church, let me, let me just make this really clear. Our church never talked about character, never talked about holiness. We only talked about miracles, about faith, about receiving from God. So one night, I'm out in our field next to our apartment building, right? It's a deserted field. It's late at night. And I'm praying, and God spoke to me something I never, ever forgot. I mean, he spoke to me like you're hearing me right now. And he said something to me that was quite foreign because I hadn't heard it in my church. He said, son... I'm gonna teach you how to deny yourself, how to take up your cross, and how to follow me. I'm gonna to begin to do a work of holiness in your life. Now, I was so excited when I heard that. I ran back to the apartment. Lisa's taking off her makeup, getting ready for bed. I said, babe, 
God just said he's going to begin to do a work of holiness in my life. I said, you know what that means? All the excesses that are in my life. Because I watched excessive amount of TV back then. I watched excessive sports on TV. I ate when I wasn't even hungry. Can you believe it? Because food was an idol. I said, all this stuff is going to go. And she was like, oh, that's so exciting, right? Well, you know what happened over the next three months? The next three months, I ate twice as much as what I normally ate. I watched twice as much TV. And I watched twice as much sports on TV. And I remember I'm getting a little confused after three months of this and I go back out to that same field this time it was early in the morning and I said God I don't get it I just don't get it you said you were going to make me holy and I'm like twice as fleshly as I used to be and the Holy Spirit spoke to me again and he said son that's because you're doing it your way he said holiness is not a work of your flesh it's a product of my grace he said now I am going to begin to do it my way I had no idea what he was talking about but Over the next six months, I started going through trials like I had never faced before. I mean, excruciating trials, and they weren't self-inflicted. Do you know what I mean by self-inflicted trials? (laughs) Yeah, you do stupid things, and you get stupid results, right? I'm doing right things and getting unbelievable results. And I remember these trials were like unbearable almost, it seemed like to me. And during this time period, this six months, I became a terror to live with. I'm snapping at Lisa. I'm yelling at her for the stupidest things. I'm irritated by my nine-month-old son. I'm mad at my pastor because he doesn't recognize me. I'm really upset with my friends because they're not giving me the empathy I think I deserve. I'm mad at the people I'm working with because they don't recognize what I'm going through. And I'm just mad at everybody. You got it? I'm Italian. (laughs) So... I, got, I started getting a little concerned because never in my life had I been this angry and bitter before. I mean, even before I got saved. And so I went out to that same field again. I said, God, what's going on? I said, I've never been this angry even before I got saved. What is happening? And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And he said, son, he said, look at your ring. And I'm looking at my ring and it's a 14 carat gold ring, okay? And for those of you who don't know, 14 carat means 14 parts out of 24 parts is gold, 10 parts out of 24 parts is other metals, copper, zinc, nickel, etc. Now, you gotta remember, I got an engineering mind. So God said to me, he said, son, it looks like pure gold to you, doesn't it? I said, yeah, it looks like pure gold. He said, what happens if you put it in a furnace and heat it, heat it up a couple thousand degrees? I said, well, it liquefies. He said, then what happens? I said, well, the impurities, the metals such as copper, zinc, and nickel are lighter in molecular structure, so they begin to come to the surface. He said, they appear, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, they appear. He said, son, you keep asking me where all this stuff is coming from. He said, it's always been in there. He said, it was visible to me, but invisible to you. But in my love for you, I have allowed you, allowed you to come into this furnace of affliction. And he said, what it's doing is exposing what's in you. He said, now what you do with it will determine your future. He said, if you keep blaming your pastor, your wife, your friends, he said, it'll all go right back down. We got to start this thing all over again. (laughs) Some people, they've been doing this for 20 years. Um, He said, or you can own it. He said, if you own it, in other words, quit blaming the fact that you're Italian, quit blaming the fact that your wife's insensitive to you and quit blaming the past. If you own it and say, God, I repent, He said, I'll take my ladle and skim it right off the top. I remember in this time period, the pain that I was experiencing was unbearable 
in my heart I'm talking about. Jeremiah makes this statement. He said, why is my pain perpetual? Look at scripture. I'll put it up there. I can relate to that because I woke up in pain. I ate breakfast in pain. I went to the office in pain. I, I ate lunch in pain. I, I came home in pain. I went to bed in pain. I got up in pain and did it all over again. One day, the pain was so unbearable. I closed my office door and I just put my head between the cracks and hung my arms like this. And I said, God, why do I hurt so bad? He said, because you're dying, son. He said, there's always pain in death. He said, do you want to know how you will know when you're dead? I said, yes, I would like to know how I will know when I am dead. He said, you will not hurt anymore because dead people don't have pain. I said, God, would you please kill me quick? (laughs) See, you have to understand the time period that this all happened was around 1984. And God had made me promises that I would preach the gospel to the nations. However, Jesus was coming back in 1988 and I had to get this thing going. But I realized if God would have sent me out in that day, I would have destroyed people's lives. Do you understand? So God says, we need a purifying work in this young man, okay? So if you look at Joseph, you'll see something similar. You know Joseph in the Bible? Genesis 37 through 60, if you don't know, read it this afternoon, okay? After the Vikings game. And so Joseph, um, he, he's this great leader and we all have such admiration. And God gives him a dream, he gives him a glimpse. You're gonna be a leader and your brothers will be under your leadership. But when Joseph shows up on the scene, the very first verse in scripture that talks about him, do you know what it says? Joseph was telling his father the bad things his brothers were doing. Okay, number one, he's a tattletale. Okay, you go a couple verses later and you got Joseph talking down to his brothers, bragging about his dreams. So let's just make this really clear. The first time we see Joseph in scripture, he's a bragger, he's a tattletale, and he talks down to people. If God would have made him the leader right then, we would have had a very narcissistic, insecure leader who would have destroyed people. So God says, this boy needs some refining. Now God knows the end from the beginning because we're bound to time, he's not. I can tell you everything that happened yesterday, I can't tell you anything that's gonna happen tomorrow because we are subject to time. God's outside of time. So God knows the end from the beginning. He knows what these guys are gonna do, these brothers, right? You know, they get so mad at him, they throw him into a pit. And for those of you that don't know, pit is an acronym for preachers in training. Okay, they sell him as a slave to a foreign nation called Egypt and he gets sold into an officer of the king's house. Now, we don't get what his brothers did. Back then when you were a slave in a foreign nation, you have to understand it was everything for a man to have sons and for those sons to carry on his heritage. If you remember when God appeared to Abraham and said, I'm your reward, Abraham's response was big deal. I got no son, I got no heir. Now, when you're a slave in a foreign nation, you're gonna work all your life to build somebody else's legacy. Your wife will work all her life to build somebody else's legacy. Your children will be slaves all their life. Your children's children will be slaves. In other words, you will have no legacy and just build somebody else's. It is one thing to be born a slave. It's a totally different animal. When you're born the heir of a very wealthy man who has a covenant with God and your own brother strip it from you. What they did to him, we don't get it, was worse than killing him. So now he's this slave, and after a year or two, all hope of a father's rescue is gone. And he's a slave for 10 years. I want you to stop and think about it, and some of us are upset when our prayers aren't answered in three weeks. 
Good preaching, John. Amen. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad. Thank you for acknowledging that. I, I'm trying to get some of you to wake up right now. <laughs> After 10 years, God's blessing him, but something really bad's going on under the surface. You know what's going on? This guy's wife, the officer of the king's wife, she gets the hots for him. Now, she, now listen, she doesn't approach him once or twice. She approaches him every day for sex, every day. And you know what's amazing to me? I love this guy, how he obeys God. You know what's amazing to me? He doesn't have a life group. He doesn't have Pastor Rob and Pastor Becca. Do you understand? He has no fellowship at all. That's, he's completely by himself. You know, I love his fear of God. This is why he's one of my favorites. You say, fear of God? If we don't talk about that today, wait a minute, you don't understand. The fear of God is a New Testament doctrine. However, the fear of God doesn't mean you're scared of God. It means you're terrified to be away from him. Therefore, you obey whether you sense his presence or don't. Paul made this statement, and it's really God speaking to us. As you have always obeyed in in my presence, even much more now obey in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, it's real easy to obey God when you're in an atmosphere like this. What about Wednesday night when your kid's throwing up all night long and you got a big presentation next morning? Come on. What about when you got your dream job and somebody lies about you and you get fired from your dream job? You gonna obey God now? So you gotta understand, Joseph obeys God and he gets the pit in slavery. Now, they're alone in the house, he and this woman, right? And she knows what she's doing. She's got a seducing spirit probably up to her eyeballs. She's dressing the best, sending the best. She puts on the perfect outfit. Got the legs sticking outside that slit, right? It's really high. She got a little cleavage showing. She nestles up to him with that perfume on. And she goes, I'm all yours. Nobody will know it. Nobody's in the house. Nobody will ever know. And he does what the Bible says. I love this. He flees sexual immorality. The robe tears. He's naked. She's got his robe. She's scorned. Her lust turns into hate. Now she cries rape. And now he gets thrown in the dungeon for the very thing he's running from. Are you tracking with me? Now, here's the problem. We don't know what a Middle Eastern dungeon is. I was just in one of the worst prisons in the United States preaching last year, right? It's called Angola. 6,200 inmates, they're all in from 20 years to life. No parole. It was one time called the bloodiest prison in America. Can I tell you, that prison was a country club compared to a Middle Eastern dungeon. I have been in Middle Eastern dungeons. They are underground, there is no sunshine, they're damp, they're usually hewn down in empty cisterns, okay? They're, they're bedrock. The average height of a Middle Eastern dungeon is four feet tall. You can't even stand up in it. There is no mattress in that dungeon. You sleep on the bedrock. If you pee, you live in your pee. When you poop, you live in your poop. If you throw up, you live in your throw up. I need to make this graphic because some of you think you're going through some trials right now. You are, but I want you to have a comparison. The Bible says they laid his, listen, they hurt his feet with fetters. They laid him in irons till the time that his personal promise from God came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. Do you understand? You're in darkness. 
You can't stand up. You live in your waste and you get what's called the bread of affliction. You know what the bread of affliction is? They give you just enough bread, just enough water to keep you alive because they don't want you dying. You have tried to rape one of the officers of the king's wife and you're a foreign slave, you're rotten boy and we want you to suffer. Now God brings the greatest test of Joseph. You know what the test is? Come on, talk to me. You know what the test is? A butler and a baker got a dream. They both had dreams. And they, they come to him in this dungeon and they say, hey, we had dreams last night. We're troubled by them. Can you please tell us? We, we, we know you, God is with you. What's Joseph's test? Can he proclaim to, the faith, to these two guys the faithfulness of God when he hasn't seen a shred of evidence in, in his own life in 10 years? Think about it. You're going to be a leader. Your brothers will be under your leadership. He goes from pit, from slavery to dungeon, And every time after he obeys God. In other words, some of you are upset because you go, I obey God and my life's not getting better. Well, hello. Every time Joseph obeyed God, his life got worse. Think about it. You proclaim the dream. You get the pit in slavery. You flee sexual immorality. Do you get blessing? You get the dungeon. And this is what the Bible says. The Bible says in the last days, you're going to have Christians who complain. And you know what they're going to say? What good is it that we serve God? What does it benefit us? Because we're looking at the wicked, the unbelievers, and they're blessed. And we're going through all this refining. See, I'm being so strong with you because nobody shared this with me. I'm going through all this and I'm going, God, where are you? And God spoke to me last year and he said, son, strengthen my people. Because the greatest attack against the harvest comes right at the end of their their refining. And we're at the end of it. Because we're going to walk in a measure of the spirit of God that the earth has never seen. But I'm telling you, the greatest temptations against Jesus came at the end of the 40 days, not during the middle of it. Joseph's, Joseph's in that dungeon. And if he would have been like a lot of us, you know what he would have looked at those two guys and said, you had a dream last night? I had a dream once. Leave me alone. Dreams don't come true. If he would have done that, he would have died in the dungeon saying God's unfaithful, he doesn't keep his promises. When the fact is God is faithful and he does keep his promises. But Joseph passed the test. He obeys God even when there has been nothing but disappointment for 10 years. He interprets the guy's dreams. The butler forgets about him and he's in the dungeon two more years. The king has a dream. He's promoted to number two in the world. Think about it. Seven years of plenty, two years of famine. 19 years later, here comes his brothers. Nine. Years. And you know what the Bible says? He never forgot that dream. He kept it before him the whole time. And we're upset when our dream's not answered in a year and a half. Sure is quiet in this Methodist church right now. <laughs> you know what Joseph's life tells us? You know what Joseph's life tells us? I don't care. No man, no woman, no child, no organization can ever get you out of your destiny. Come on, talk to me. Joseph's brothers said, we're going to destroy him and see whatever becomes of that dream. And God laughs. God goes, oh, yeah, I know the end from the beginning. You're actually the very tools I'm going to use to bring to pass that dream if he handles it correctly. See, if you look at Israel, they didn't handle it correctly. Remember I said nobody can get you out of your destiny? There's only one person who can get you out of your destiny. That's you. God brought Israel into the desert for only one year. Read it. It's in the Bible. Because they didn't handle it right, it ended up being 40 years. Which tells me, you sure can't shorten your wilderness experience, but you can lengthen it. Oh, you're really getting great news this morning, aren't you? (laughs) 
You know, think about it. Moses had a church of 3 million. I think Craig Rochelle's doing pretty good at 110,000, but Moses had 3 million in his church. Only two adults in his entire congregation fulfilled their destiny. We'd call him a failure today. Still with me? Paul talks about these guys. He says, hey, they're examples to us today. He talks about them not fulfilling their destiny. He said, there's five things that kept them from fulfilling their destiny. Five things. Everybody say five things. Five things. Listen to me. Sexual immorality, idolatry, tempting Christ, lusting for other things, and complaining. One day I'm reading the Bible, I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. That, that, hey, how can you put complaining in that list? That doesn't even belong in that list. We're talking idolatry, tempting Christ, immorality. How can you put that in that list? I was a little upset. And you know what the Holy Spirit said to me immediately? He said, complaining is a very serious sin. I said, okay, I need understanding. I don't get it. How can you put it in that list? He said, you know what complaining says to me, son? I said, what? Complaining says to me, God, I don't like what you're doing in my life right now. And if I were you, I'd do it totally different. He said, it's an absolute disrespect from my person and my ways. It's a lack of the fear of God. It's rebellion. I told my wife this after God said that to me. I said, babe, we are going to discipline our boys for complaining. We're disciplining them for rebellion when they complain. Some people thought we were crazy. Well, all four boys work with our ministry, and we can't get rid of them. We try to, but they won't go. <laughs> Maybe there's something to it. I remember one day I was on a four-day fast, and I was kind of proud of the fact that I wasn't complaining anymore, right? And I wake up, and the Holy Spirit said, I hear the complaining in your heart. I didn't get out of bed that day. I rolled to my knees. Now, let me say this. I really believe Joseph probably felt a little abandoned. Would you agree with me on that? Come on, talk to me. Watch this video. I think you'll understand what I'm talking about. Everybody has a hero. Okay. Come on. Mine's my dad. Yes, I get it. Since mom died, it's only been us. He has a way of filling my life with color. Dad, which one? That one. Sometimes I don't understand his advice, but I trust him. And what always brought us together was our love for running. One day, I'll be faster than him. And when I am, I'm going to win every marathon in the world. Abby? What's wrong, champ? Or at least that was my plan. I'm losing my sight. And real quick, read to me the lowest level that you can see on there. What is called is interocular melanoma. Eye cancer. Unfortunately, you will lose your vision. That was the day my father disappeared. Okay. Dad! Wakey. Ready to run, champ? Come on. I thought he would always be there for me. I guess I was wrong. Dad, where are you? Dad! <laughs> you abandoned me. Where are you, Dad? Where did you go? Do you not love me anymore? Am I still beautiful? 
Are you no longer proud of me? How could you leave me when I need you the most? Abby thinks I've left her. And as much as it pains me to hear that, she's right. I've left her. The best that we can do is can save the please? actual eyes so that cosmetically she doesn't lose them. That's my girl. That's my girl. That's my little girl. There's support groups, and I know this is a very difficult time. No! I've left her to realize she's more courageous than she ever imagined. I've left her to discover how beautiful she is from the inside out. I've left her to challenge herself in ways she never considered. I've left her to discover how strong she really is. me, baby. Why did you leave me? I was right here. I was always here. Where did you go? I was always here, baby. Listen, no one believes in you more than I do. Far you've come. My dad says he gave me what I needed, not what I wanted. You ready? Yep. Folks, what we are seeing here is amazing. This is a testament of true love. Love is allowing someone to see their true worth and beauty. I used to think my dreams were over. I thought I'd never run again. And even though I can't see my dad, I know he's guiding me the entire way. <clears throat> yeah, it's... The reason our team made this video was I want to illustrate Job's words. Job went through a very similar thing that Joseph went through. Listen to what Job said. Think about the video you just saw. Look, I go forward, but he, God, is not there. And backward, but I can't perceive him. When he works, of course he's working. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's working on your behalf. You just 
can't perceive it. That father was there with her the whole time, but he wanted her to become strong. He didn't want to foster a crippled, handicapped girl. He wanted to develop a strong girl, which is exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing with you. He wants to prepare you for greater battles. And so Job's Job says this, he said, but he, God knows where I'm going. Of course he does, he planned it. And he, when he tests me, why are we so uptight about tests? I'll tell you why, because of midterms and finals. But can I say, I just flew over the Atlantic Ocean a couple weeks ago and I'm so glad the pilot passed the test. He and I didn't end up at the bottom of the ocean. Tests only show what's in you. God said, I brought you, he said this to Israel, I brought you into this wilderness to humble you and test you so that you could know what's in your heart. You don't know what's in your heart, he does. Good preaching, Johnny. Amen. Thanks. I, now look at this. When he tests me, I will come out as pure gold. Hey, here it is. Pure gold is tender, soft, pliable. 14 karat gold's hard and brittle. Gold has a counterpart. Solid gold has a counterpart. It's called brass. Looks just like gold. But brass tarnishes because of the atmosphere. Solid gold can't. Do you understand when you go through God's refining, the atmosphere of the world can't tarnish you anymore? Solid gold, solid gold. The streets are made out of it. You can see right through it in heaven. Purest, the gold in its pure state is transparent. You know what happens when he tests us? People start seeing him in us, not us anymore. They start seeing the treasure in the vessel, not the vessel. <clears throat> What's Job's response? The exact same as Joseph. Look at this. For I have stayed on God's paths. I have not followed, or excuse me, I have followed his ways and not turned aside. I have not departed from his commands, but have treasured his words more than my daily food. Can I say that most Christians in America today, they get one meal a week. The, the word of God is food to our spirit. They get one meal a week. It's a good one here. Believe me, it's a good one. That's why you come. But would you try eating one small meal, physical meal a week for four months and tell me how you're doing? The average 15 to 25 year old spends 53.7 hours a week in front of screens. How much time are we spending in the word of God? You know what's really scary? When you don't eat physically, your body screams, I'm hungry. When you don't eat spiritually, your spirit gets quieter. The less you eat, the more you want to eat physically. The less you eat spiritually, the less you want to eat. It's time to develop an appetite for the word of God. I hope you understand my heart today was to prepare you because I need every single one of you to fulfill your destiny because your destiny and my destiny is wrapped up together. If you look at, if you look at Joshua, every adult in the, his congregation fulfilled their destiny except one guy, Achan, and that was all over money. I want a Joshua generation, not an Israel stuck in the desert 40 years generation. I need you to fulfill your destiny. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for what you've given to us. And now, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you, please grant us the gift of repentance. If you're in here this morning and you'd say, you know what, I've been complaining and I realize it's a sin. I've been insulting the character of God. I've gone past complaining, I'm even disobeying because I'm, I'm a little upset with God, the way things have gone in my life. And I realize this morning who's wrong, I'm the one that's wrong. If that's you, I want you to stand up very quickly. We have another service coming in. I want to pray for you. Just stand up right now. Thank you for being so honest. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Don't wait and look around and see if a bunch of people are standing. 
I don't care if you're the only one. This is between you and God, not you and your person sitting next to you. Just stand up quickly. Be honest. Don't miss this opportunity. There's a lot more to this than you even know. Just stand up immediately. Yes, yes, sir. Thank you for standing. You were worth the wait. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Thank you. You were worth the wait. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Wow. A lot more people have just stood. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Thank you. I want you to just pray this prayer out loud. I hope you're not sitting and want to be standing. Please ask yourself, if you want to be standing, why are you sitting? God will never, like I said, yes, sir. Thank you, young man. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. All right, I want you to pray this from your heart. Say this with me. God in heaven, out loud, say it. God in heaven, my father, please forgive me. I've complained and insulted your work in my life. For this, I ask you to forgive me. From this moment forward, I rejoice in what you're doing in my life. You're not the author of evil. You're not the author of bad. You've come to give me life. And you've given me the power to overcome anything the enemy tries to throw my way. From this moment forward, I purpose in my heart not to complain, but to speak your word, to fear you, to obey you even when I don't sense your presence, even when I don't see your promises being fulfilled. I will obey you, knowing that you are faithful. Cleanse me with your blood. In Jesus' name, amen.